0: Bring me your tired, your stressed, your overwhelmed and anxious, yearning for some joy in life. It's time to go out and play. Hello everyone, welcome back to Playgrounding. This is Kara Stewart-Fortier and today I have some breaking news for you. Apparently, we have a lot of problems in the world right now. Yeah. In case you hadn't noticed, we have big, complex issues that need actual, real solutions, but none of it is being solved right now because we haven't figured out a way to talk to each other. Right now, everything feels like a stalemate. Um, It's kind of the my way or the highway kind of thing for everyone on all sides, and the problem that we're all so frustrated with is that no matter how right we feel we are, no matter how much research we've done, whatever issue, whatever it is, there just seems to be no consensus. And this is in Washington, D.C. or whatever the capital of, you know, I hope your country is doing better than, than this one is. Um, but it, this is also on the street in protests. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of give on. Um, yeah, there's no consensus being reached there. Um, there's also... Our family members at the dinner table, our friends. um, If we're going to argue, and I think the most insidious form of this is that when someone disagrees, or when if someone doesn't accept your solution one hundred percent—not just you, but like the the general we—if someone doesn't accept our our solution, um, so much more often than not, the answer is that not only are you wrong, but you're bad, and then relationships start to dissolve and we start devolving into arguments on Facebook and all the fun stuff that keep us at this stalemate. So the question we're going to talk about today is this. Are we really truly stuck? Are we really so doomed? Are we doomed to failure right now because all of the tools that we're using right now aren't working and the way we're trying to solve these problems to build consensus don't seem to be working? Is that it? Are we just stuck here? Or Is it possible to create something brand new? Is it possible to invent new tools so we can talk to each other and reach consensus and try to move forward for the sake of the generations that come after us? Because maybe maybe we're following a script, the only script that we knew, but maybe that script is not working and we need to throw it out. Maybe we need to start improvising. And that is exactly what we're going to be talking about today in our conversation with Marion Rich and Carrie Loebman of the Eastside Institute. They are co-authors of the chapter called Playing Around with Changing the World about the Eastside Institute's international class in a book that's called The Applied Improvisation Mindset. Now, it's set to be published by Bloomsbury Press in early 2021. So before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Marion and Carrie. Marion Rich is an international performance activist, actress, comedic improviser, and theatrical director who has spent over 30 years leading playful workshops and programs in which people come together to grow and develop. As faculty at the Eastside Institute, she leads playful and philosophical sessions during the Institute's international class residencies. There are... They impact activists, educators, and scholars from around the world who are looking for ways to infuse their work with the power of performance. She is a co-founder of the Global Play Brigade also, which is something I like quite a bit. Um, Carrie Loebman, she's a doctor of education, and she's an associate professor and chair of the Department of Learning and Teaching at Rutgers University Graduate School of Education. She's also the leader of education and research at the Eastside Institute and a member of the National Board of Directors of the All-Stars. Carrie is a sociocultural scholar and play movement leader. Her research examines the relationship between play, performance, learning, and development for people of all ages She facilitates a webinar series called Play, Development, and Social Justice and serves as a mentor to emerging performance activists around the world and is on the board of directors for the All-Stars Project, a national leader in after-school development. Carrie is the author or editor of three books, Unscripted Learning, Using Improvisation Across the K-8 Curriculum, Big Ideas and Revolutionary Activity, Selected Essays, Talks, and Articles by Lois Holtzman, and Performance and Play, Play and Culture Series, Volume 11. She has authored dozens of articles. She received her doctorate from Teachers College, Columbia University, and is a past president of the Association for the Study of Play and Cultural Historical Activity Theory, SIG, of the American Educational Research Association. All right, let's get to it. Here's Mm Marion and Carrie. What an amazing Mm -hmm. honor it is to have the two of Mm -hmm. you on together. Um, We have Marion Rich and we have Carrie Loebman, and I am honored. Thank you for Thank having, you for having for coming on the show. Yeah, this is Pleasure. this is really incredible. Um, I've been getting to know um, the Global Play Brigade, Marion, that's how I met you. And then you're yep. working on this work with Carrie and um, maybe you introduce yourselves for us.
1: There's many ways to introduce oneself, but I'll go the play route. given where we are and who we're with. Um, So I'm a a longtime actress, comedian, improviser, teacher. And um, I think it was about 15 years ago or something, I gave up scripted theater for the life of an improviser. (laughs) And um, I'm also a faculty member at the Eastside Institute. I'll let Carrie say a little bit more about the Eastside Institute. And um, I've been teaching activists and scholars and educators, community organizers, uh, people from around the world who want to infuse their work to change the world with play. Mm -hmm. and performance and improvisation. So that's become very, very important work to me. And I'm one of the co-founders of the Global Play Brigade. And I also do applied improvisation work in corporate settings, though I must say since the pandemic, I'm pretty focused on, as I've been for a very long time, most of my (laughs) adult life, in changing the world.
2: So uh, Absolutely.
1: that's a little bit about me. I'll start there, and <laughs> okay, i kick it over to Carrie.
2: Thank <laughs> you, Mary. Um, I have I have sort of a multi a multi location life. So I yeah. am a professor of education at Rutgers University um, in New Jersey. I am the chair of the Department of Learning and Teaching. i um, our primary. Um, In addition to being educational researchers, we also prepare teachers at all levels at at Rutgers. And I am the um, pro bono leader of education and research at the Eastside Institute, which Marion mentioned. So the Eastside Institute is a completely, it's a sort of, it's a unique in, in, as far as I know, in that it's a completely independent research and training center. So there's many, centers and institutes around the world and most of them have a relationship to a university Um, and the Eastside institute which grew up out of activism um does not it hasn't it's independently funded um and it's independently and volunteer led Mm -hmm. um so what we've done for the last 40 years is really been able to experiment and develop what we think of as a new approach to human development Um, which puts our ability to play and perform and create at front and center of what's needed for us to grow as individuals, as families, as communities, and frankly, at this point, as a species. Um, And so my job there is, if you will, at this point, to develop our curriculum, our offerings, um, to work as one of the many people who we have a, broad network of community organizers around the world who consider themselves performance activists. And we both are created by them and we serve them. Mm. So a lot of the things that we develop and offer are to support the development of leaders around the world who can then lead others. Um, And I've been in that, um, Lois Holtzman, our director and co-founder, kind of her primary partner in developing our international training work um, both before the pandemic by traveling around the world and doing that with people and um, here in New York and now mostly
0: virtually online. Wow. Well, I, I've really enjoyed you sent me a chapter of your upcoming book. And I am just it, it, it really was a kind of a game changer in my mind. We've talked a lot on the podcast about activism and play, and sometimes that kind of comes across as. Being a little more creative, doing some mm. different kinds of maybe more daring things, be more playful in the way you are an activist. Um, what you're talking about goes. I mean, we, we've also talked about you know the All Stars Project with and and the kids playing with the police is doing improv. But I feel like there's just something so much deeper into not only how we learn learn, but how we see ourselves and perform in the world on a daily basis, not just in a workshop or something like that. And that all kind of starts off you in your paper that you sent me in the chapter with social therapeutics. Could you kind of give me an idea of what social therapeutics is so we can kind of launch from there? Sure. So, um, I mean, at a very basic level, it's the name of the
2: approach that we've developed at the Institute, but you might say, well, an approach to what? Mm -hmm. Um, so starting, starting really at the beginning, our co-founders, um, the late Dr. Fred Newman and who was a philosopher and a therapist and a playwright, um, and an activist and Lois Holtzman who was trained as a developmental psychologist. I think when you say, um, it feels deeper, I think that's because the task they set for themselves and us was nothing short than challenging the basic assumptions of psychology, Mm -hmm. um, and so some people might say, well, psychology, that's a subject you study in school, or it's something that certain people do. They do psychology. They, But what the, we're talking about is the psychology that has kind of dominated how, certainly people in the Western world, but now I would argue people everywhere, since that's been the hegemonic approach for, for several hundred years now, mm-hmm. how we understand what a human being is. Um, so for most of... The last three or four hundred years, human beings have been defined by that we are thinkers and we are reactors, right? We we are we we are primarily what makes us different than animals is we're cognitive, we think. Um and obviously thinking is one of the many things we can do, often more than we should. (laughs) Right here. um, (laughs) <laughs> what, what social therapeutics attempts to do is shift our gaze to that we are the species that created the concept of thinking. We are <laughs> the species that created the concept of self. We are the species. Mm-hmm. We are creators and performers of our lives and of everything that humanity has created, good and bad, and there's much of both. And that in psychology kind of not focusing on that We've become alienated from our ability to continuously create and recreate, um, and for us, that's the key to transforming the world. And um, and at a moment in which for most, pe- for many people, development in the sense of continuously creating new performances has been stifled mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. The need to shed light on our ability to reignite that and to create environments where people can do that can create new ways of relating to each other new ways of doing government new ways of doing education um, new ways of doing therapy if we don't create in creating spaces where you can question the assumptions and begin to create something new that's how we're going to transform so social therapeutics is the practice we've created that 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 certainly we we have experienced sparks that for people, but the interesting thing about it is we're not looking to have everybody do it the way we are doing it because that <laughs> would be the opposite of what we're saying. <laughs> yes. So it's in some ways it's giving people the ability to become tool creators themselves. We got that from the Soviet psychologist Lev Vygotsky that we use tools, but we can also create them. And so social therapeutics is a methodology for. Reigniting tool creation around
1: the world. Can I? I just want to. Absolutely. Yes, and (laughs) heartily yes, and uh, what Carrie shared. As a practitioner of social therapeutics, I think the most important thing I carry in my toolkit (laughs) is um, seeing the group. So I think uh, traditionally psychology says development is individualized, that that it's all about the individual. But mm-hmm. of course, um, you know, when you're playing as adults, often uh, if you're taking an improv class, you're in a circle and you're playing some game, you're hmm. passing a synchronized clap or whatever you're doing, and you can see that circle as a grouping of individuals. And you can also see that as a group. Uh, There's a dialectical relationship Mm -hmm. because the group, of course, is made up of individuals. Yeah. In social therapeutics, we would say that the development that happens, that the growth that happens through play, through co-creating, happens to the group Mm. Uh, that is radically different than how traditional psychology understands development to the extent to which it does. (laughs) And I think social therapeutics also turns that on its head, but I, I think as a practitioner, as somebody who plays with groups uh, online, offline, that's the focus that yeah. we have. We're, we're seeing where the group is at and then addressing the group and the individuals are taken care of because they're included.
0: <laughs> yep, absolutely. And I think one of the concepts that um, really stood out to me with this, and it helped me kind of connect some dots that I'd been sort of dangling out there in the air when I'm trying to understand all of this was the idea of being and becoming. Mm-hmm. And how this is something that a child um, understands. So like, what you're introducing is not something that we humans haven't done before. It's uh-huh. maybe what we adults have a hard time with. But being and becoming um, I'm just going to let you talk, but if you could maybe speak to that, because I just feel like that's a really important concept that everyone, I think, any listeners, anyone will get a lot out of just understanding that.
2: Kara, before we do that, could you say what, what, what's it, your face lights up when you say it? What is it about that, that, that <laughs> strikes a chord for you? Cause it might help us then speak to, to that and, and advance that and build with you. <laughs>
0: well, Actually, it's, it's kind of strange. So the first thing that came to my mind, um, I am a singer. I've been a singer my whole life. I d- led bands, blah, blah, blah. But I've always had this problem. If I sing too long, like I could just never quite do, I I took so many classes and everything, um, to try to like get rid of whatever this block is that was Mm -hmm. making it so hard for me. And one time I was, I was playing with some friends just, we were being silly and I decided I was going to pretend to be Beyonce or something. And I just started pretending I was Beyonce and I just started singing. And this voice came out that stopped me. I was like, How did I do that? (laughs) I mean, because my voice teacher was working with me to have one hand on my belly, one hand on my neck, making sure nothing was moving. And I was trying to do these exercises. And that's how I was trying to learn it. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's possible to do that. But in that moment, it was just there. My -hmm. voice. And and I've learned a lot through like acting classes and different performing stuff that we lose track of ways of breathing and ways of standing and everything that when we were kids is just natural. And so this idea of thinking of ways of being as a kid and, and Mm -hmm. the way that we take for what we take for granted as a child and moving into our adult life where everything is suddenly scripted. Mm -hmm. And I know, and I understand, I have a good understanding now what happened with me with my voice. I was trying so hard to do specific things with it that my voice was not meant to do. Yeah. Um, And now I don't do that anymore. But it took me so many years to learn that. And so when I read about this idea of being and becoming, that you're always, you always are who you are, but you're also in this, you have this capacity to be something else. Mm -hmm. Not like in a, I'm not satisfied with who I am kind of sense. Because I think Mm -hmm. when I read it before, that's what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't sure. I mean, I didn't understand. But but now that I've read this paper and I, I, that's what stood out to me. So sorry, I didn't mean to be the... um, (laughs) No, that's what I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that.
2: <laughs> I mean it's funny. I think the thing you just said about that the that you that we tend to see being who you are and who you are not or who you are becoming, you you had this little aside of not that you don't have to not as if they're on opposites, right? That yeah, yeah. you like who you are or you want to be something different. Yes. Right. And, and we do tend to see everything in dichotomies um, mm-hmm. in the world. And so to me, what's, what is, what's so exciting about your excitement about it is mm-hmm. that it's a window onto n- not seeing things dualistically. Yes. And with young children, it's not just that they, it's that we support them to be who they are and who they're becoming. True. The, the ensemble, as Marion was saying, the group does that, right? Mm-hmm. So it would be ludicrous oh. to relate to a nine-month-old <laughs> as a non-speaker, right? Oh, we're not going to talk to them because they don't really speak. So <laughs> no, we're going to wait because they don't get to be... We No, we speak to them all the time. We speak to them when they're two weeks old. We we engage with them as part of the community of people who are becoming speakers and we do that with four-year-olds too, right? They sit down next to and say, can I read you a book? Yeah. And we don't correct what they're reading. We don't say, no, you don't really know how to read. I'm, I get a little bored when we relate to them as readers. And so I think where the shift happens is actually in, in the society, in the relationships, not in the individual child. Ooh, right? That's good. Oh, we get man. to a point where what we value and the, is what people can do. That's what we start valuing and looking for and rewarding, not that creative activity that's what you can't and can do all at the same time and supporting that activity as we get older. And um, so to me, what being and becoming is, is not a, it's not a new thing. It's a description of what human beings are able to do, which yeah. is as far as we know, as far as we know, I mean, all animals, grow in that way as puppies and kittens <laughs> and all of those things. But, but we can, we can decide to not just be who we are. We can, and it's not even a cognitive activity. We can, we can pretend, as you said, to be Beyonce. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, I think for me, what's exciting about it is that it, it is a description of human development and it is a tool for reinitiating it all at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And Marion yeah. is a master at creating environments where people can do that. Oh,
1: ah, thanks,
0: Carrie. The Thank nurturer.
1: You. That's very sweet. <laughs> I mean, the thing I, I wanted to add is, um, so Carrie mentioned Fred Newman, mm-hmm. who was the co-founder of the Eastside Institute. Fred was also the artistic director of the Castillo Theater in New York, which is uh, the theater of the All Stars Project. And uh, I was one of the actors in Fred's ensemble for many years. Mm. And um, Fred had a radio show years ago called Let's Develop where it was a call-in radio show on AM radio in New York. And I used to call in every week, because I'm like, I don't know, Fred's giving free therapy. I'm calling in. <laughs> and I, th- I think this was the context that we had this conversation that's never left me. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was very mundane uh, kind of question that I was beginning to date uh, the man who's now my husband and I uh, and he was crazy enough to let me call into a radio show and talk about our very early relationship. And I was concerned because we were doing a lot of like baby talk, you know, that you do <laughs> like, hello, three, you know, booby, Hi, pookie. And um, and I think it was in that context that Fred had shared with me that, well, look, Marion, you're always who you were you're always that kid. A kid never leaves you. You're always a kid. Uh, Who you are, whoever you are now, and who you're becoming. Mm. You're all those things at once, all the time. Uh And life is the interplay of all of that. And I don't think I had a clue really what he was talking about. (laughs) Yeah, this was like 20 years ago. I just thought it sounded cool. Mm -hmm. But I think I've grown into not a cognitive understanding of that, but a life activity through my own development and seeing other people develop. And the Beyonce story is the story. Um, like actually when Carrie was just talking, I thought, wouldn't it be great if every woman in the world would perform as Beyonce? (laughs) That would, that is a strange, uh, avenue for women's empowerment, but not a bad one. No. Um, so it's so creative (laughs) and that's so much a part of, (laughs) <laughs> this approach to to development is to create our lives yeah. and in creating our new performances we become yeah and then one day you realize oh that used to be a performance and oh that's who i am yeah.
0: now. <laughs> Well, how I, the I, hell I, did that happen? And the, and the greatest part of all of it, and I think the reason why it happened with trying to sing that song was because I sound nothing like Beyonce, and I knew yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to channel the the sass and the fun, and yeah. by doing that, I wasn't thinking about trying to sound like her because I knew I wouldn't. Right. But it was that it's so fascinating that as soon as you let yeah. go of that, and then when I tried to go back and do it again, nope, nothing. <laughs> it took me years to figure that out. Just do it. Be in that moment now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love oh Those man! Tools. One of the great tools that young
2: children have is they imitate. Yeah, and that is one that's of right. the tools again that gets taken away from us for the most part at school, oh. right? It starts being called cheating, or be your true self, be yeah. your real self. Don't do authentic that. Authentic self, authentic, and and it it really stifles one of the what makes us most able to grow, which is out is that we have the ability to imitate others. And that imitation is not, we call it creative imitation, because we're actually not capable of being Beyonce, Mm-mm. just like Beyonce is not capable of being Kara. Yeah,
0: true. So, <laughs>
2: so, her loss, but there you go. We can, we can, um, so it's interesting when you say you weren't able to do it again, because in some ways, I think the it we have to do again and again is not, Yes. The content of that. Yes. But the activity of that. Yes, right? yes, yes. That, that, I do think we, because there's a reason we can't do it again, is because more often than not, what we're now trying to do is be that. mm mm-hmm. Get it right is, Script you know, it again. Yes. Yeah. And so I think the, the, the thing that we have to get better at is over and over again, we're not a process culture Hmm. and being and becoming is about the relationship between process and product. It's not one or the other. Wow. Yeah. so That's what I think you could do. You could do that every day. and, (laughs) And it would never look the same.
0: No, no, it's amazing. And there are so many applications for this that you guys, um, that you I know you marry and you lead workshops for this and what you do at the Eastside Institute, um, and your international class and what you're describing in this book. Um, There were a few examples in the chapter, but I'm just gonna let you guys sort of pull out some examples of how this works in what you do at the Eastside Institute. um, And what applied improvisation means. Let's just start there because that's a very specific thing. All right, it's well, not take, going to see the groundlings. <laughs> I'll take
1: applied improv, and okay. then, <laughs> and then I'll kick it over to Carrie to talk about ten uh, questions the, at once. The international <laughs> class, yeah. and, and then we can talk a little bit about what that looks like. So, um, the chapter that we're writing is part of a book that's being edited um, by two colleagues from the Applied Improvisation Network. Caitlin McLaurin, Teresa um, Robbins-Dudek. And uh, they they had a volume one, which is called Applied Improvisation. I happen to have it here. Yay. Plug for the book. Leading, collaborating, and creating beyond the theater. Mm-hmm. So um, really applied improvisation is lifting the tools from the theater, from improvisation, from the theater, um, as a formally trained actor, I've I've improvised uh, plays, not comic improv, so there's also dramatic improvisation, Mm -hmm. just improvising a scene. It's a way that directors work, that actors work, all the way from that to Second City, you know, comedy improv, uh, Del Close, the whole history of, Viola Spolin, Mm. uh, et cetera, et cetera, that very rich history. So taking all these incredible tools, lifting them out of the theater, (laughs) although I go with Shakespeare that all of the world's a stage, but nevertheless, (laughs) lifting them out and putting them in other settings. So along with many other, you know, really talented people in other organizations, Mm -hmm. I could name dozens of them, (laughs) um, And uh, they do that in corporate America. Other people do it in uh, medical settings. Uh, We have colleagues, Susan Masson and Mary Fridley, who've created something called the Joy of Dementia, bringing improv and play to caregivers for people with dementia. All of these are applied improv. So, so taking games and play and exercises, yes, and all <laughs> that, and bringing it to communities, to activities that uh, typically are not using play. I think that what uh, we, we have found ourselves doing, uh, along with many others, is applying improv to changing the world. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, big. big.
2: <laughs> it's a big project, right? It's, it's a big project. It's being and becoming. <laughs> being and yes, becoming. Is. Right. Absolutely.
1: So we sponsor a conference called "Performing the World." Yes. We've been doing that for twenty years. So we we the chapter we wrote is called "Playing Around with Changing the World." Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit about applied improvisation. Mm-hmm. And now, if we can remember the other part of
0: the question, <laughs> yeah, I kind of babbled questions Car- out there.
1: Yeah. Carrie, will will we'll yes, end and take it from here.
2: Well, I think you know the 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 Eastside Institute began long before we have certainly heard of applied improv, and and maybe. True. Um, and so, as with many of our discoveries, they had this wonderful characteristic that again, I think has a relationship to being and becoming and is is challenging to do within the constraints of traditional academic institutions, which is that we were we were creating things. We created an independent school for many years um, to challenge, to be an alternative to how traditional schooling, stops letting children be and become, if you will. Mm -hmm, We've created a therapy practice called social therapy, all these. And in doing that, we often then brought in both intellectual traditions and other communities that resonated with us. Right. So we saw people, we saw people doing improv, our theater colleagues like Marion were doing improv and thought, Oh, that helps us understand some of what we've been doing in our therapy work. Mm. We've been creating improvised conversations in our Mm -hmm. therapy practice. I I was thinking when you were describing, when you were asking sort of, well, what, what does this look like in Mm -hmm. practice? um, One way to think about it is starting about 15 to 20 years ago, we, we began to realize that there were many people around the world who were challenging traditional ways of changing the world. Mm-hmm. um people do that through the arts people do that through um you know going back into communities and rather than trying to do a top down approach trying to build grassroots movements there people do it through um supporting educational approaches and and that, but that more and more people were looking for creative ways to do that that break from traditional ideological step by step if you do this if you do this then you can do that change the world right mm-hmm. and so we started um meeting those people telling them we thought they were performance activists so, um telling them we thought they were the new psychologists that in that in being people who were helping communities grow they were creating a new psychology um and people wanted more they wanted to learn from us so we created the international class our first class graduated in 2004 um, and one way to think about it is it's, it's a leadership training program. Okay. But another way to think about it is it's, is it's reigniting people's own development so that they could develop the people that they're working with. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. and I think in theatrical terms, it's helping people see that one way to understand who they are is they are environment builders. They are stage creators, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, we mentioned something a few minutes ago that I think is the hardest thing for people to, under, to, to, to embrace in our work, which is that what we are doing, we call it tool and result, meaning we are, we are bringing into existence new tools that transform where we're going. So as opposed to a hammer, which is a tool for a particular job, (laughs) we're trying to create tools that actually create the job at the same time that you're creating the tool. Yeah. When I say that, I think it's a it's a big shakeup for a lot of people who are trying to change the world because world changing has, for the last couple of hundred years, been tied to you're trying to create a particular outcome. Mm-hmm. You're trying to elect a particular person, you're trying to overthrow a particular government, you're trying mm-hmm. to change a particular policy, and you're focused on that goal, and your tools are all in line with that. And what we're saying is doesn't mean you don't have goals, you don't have things you want to go to, but if you're overly focused on tools for that, you miss half of what is transformative, maybe 80% of what's transformative, which mm-hmm. is the creating of the ensemble the creating of the activities that you're going to do, the tools that you're going to use to do them. So in the international class, we are inviting people who are already, for the most part, skilled activists um, and skilled practitioners. So for example, um, Sanjay Kumar is a theater activist in India. Um, for many years ran a theater called, and still does, the Pandey's Theater, which um, creates theater for and about um the most oppressed and abused segments of Indian society, including mm-hmm. children who um, are in the sex trade and are living on platforms and, and are being murdered often. And he's wow. created theater over the years that is all about activism. And I think, and you, he'd tell me if I was wrong, because Sanjay is very honest with me, <laughs> he came to us in some ways to to broaden, not, not, he was very, very skilled. He, he was attracted to our approach that allowed one to break from traditional ideology, to see some things and partner with some people that you maybe wouldn't before, um, but also to bring more process into the work. And he's continued to do absolutely amazing political theater. Um, and he's much more playful in how he goes about that in That's the world. Um, and I could, you know, there, there are yeah, people yeah. from Africa, people from, so I think I, I think over the years, and we, we discovered this is what we were doing. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know that we d- knew we were doing that in 2004. That's awesome. Um, we had no idea
1: what we, we were uh, doing with many of our projects. So, yeah.
2: you know, and, and the way we do that is by asking, taking people to take a leap with us, which is that, that we are not, we don't, no, we're not going to tell them what to do because that is the opposite of the methodology. They are going to mm-hmm. have to build the group that, that builds the ensemble that allows us to teach them some things and allows them to teach each other much yeah. more. Um,
0: and going through that is the learning. Yeah. Oh. And one of the examples that you guys had in this chapter, um, it reminded me, I know a lot of people that are involved in activism and politics, law, that kind of thing. Like me, I was a debater. I was a ph- philosophy major and all that stuff. So I was all about learning how to craft a great argument. Every paper I had to be ready to defend it. You know, you feel like you always have to be ready with the exact right arguments. You have to be ready to hit them back and, you know, knock mm-hmm. down those, you know, Um this kind of just turns all of that on its head, yeah. knocks it over and says, no, we're going to try something completely different. And it's hard to even describe to somebody like me what that could even possibly look like. Um, but then you you give this example of a class exercise um, where before the, the exercise began, it was made aware that somebody in the class was feeling triggered mm. and upset. And um, you change the exercise completely in order to do this thing that I, I, I just sat there reading this, like, is that real? Could that be real? (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about that piece of the chapter? Um,
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so literally I, well, Lois Holzman and I and Carrie have a very emergent way of working. So Mm -hmm. I, I'm the improv person and I work improvisationally and I like to get some direction from Carrie and Lois, like what's happening with the class, what are they working on? So I had a plan. I had done that. And I had a plan of, you know, some activities and I come into the Eastside Institute and Lois like pulls me aside and says, wow, uh, during, during this, Last session, there was a very heated discussion, and uh, one of the co- you know the cohort said something to the other, and. Um, yeah, the other person said she felt triggered, and it was upsetting, and it was rancorous, and it was difficult. And somebody in the in the class said, "Well, you know, next we're we have And so I don't know, maybe she could play around with it." <laughs> and Lois <laughs> said to me, "Can you do that?" And she gave me this. Just Lois is uh, a spectacular teach and thinker and, and activity activist. I I just, she's uh, pretty awesome. She's my mentor. And she said, could you create an exercise? I had five minutes. Could you create an exercise that could play with like being triggered as though it's an offer? Like that, that it could be part of, you know what what we play with um Mm -hmm. it's one more offer somebody says something
0: hurtful Mm -hmm. and Uh, it's not just hurtful it's it's bringing up a past experience bringing up a past experience Mm
1: -hmm. you know whatever that is and you know, triggering isn't like language Mm -hmm. that we use a lot in or at all really within social therapy or social therapeutics but it's it's become part of You know, people's vocabulary emotionally and and, uh, psychologically and all. So so the thing I thought of right away is, well, because this is a basic improv activity I do when I'm teaching improv, maybe I could set up some scenes to create a fight, a (laughs) trigger, and side coach them in such a way as to... See if people could do something different than that, yeah, or that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, oh, so, for your listeners, I realize we're on video. You know, either punching or, yeah,
0: or moving all the way back and, and shutting. <laughs> I love that dip. your your little Zoom crown of flowers. I always And,
1: and, you know, people shut down when they feel triggered and Mm -hmm. they they remove themselves from the relationship. Mm -hmm. And what Mm -hmm. I'm always interested in is relationality is could you do something so radical as to move closer in a moment of feeling triggered? Is that even Mm -hmm. remotely possible? And I had no idea what I was doing (laughs) and we did a couple of scenes Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, At the moment at which people did start fighting, I said, freeze. I I asked, are we at that moment? Are they, is somebody about to get triggered? (sighs) Yeah. It's getting pretty tense. And then, I would sort of slow, it's like putting everything into slow motion. Mm-hmm. So, okay, freeze. You're not looking at each other. Oof. Continue, but start with 10 seconds of direct eye contact before anybody speaks. You know, those kinds of side coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, also, when people weren't hearing each other. So Carrie just said that you've always been a difficult sister to Kara. Kara, do you want to slow down and Mm. respond, breathe, take that in and really respond without necessarily being reactive, but can you Mm -hmm. give something back? Oof. to carry could you be and yeah I, I i like that you're responding like oof
0: yeah no because and you said that there hard. was some silence that silence was people didn't know what to do yeah you it's,
1: know it's <laughs> hard work but imagine what our country and our world would be like if we we could do that
2: you know what's so interesting in listening to, in, slowing down to listen to marion's description I think I maybe saw something in the activity that I hadn't seen or I hadn't I hadn't highlighted before in my, which is, this is all being done in a social context with a whole other grouping of people, your, your classmates in this case, and Marion. So one could say, well, how much better the world would be if, in the moment, you and I, Kara, were alone together, and I said something you. But how much even more better it would be more better if we then pick call said hey could you guys come over here to some random group oh. of people? like we, we need a little side coaching here like what should i say like mm-hmm. <laughs> because that in some ways takes the focus away from just changing how people react to each other to challenging the idea that what we are doing is reacting to each other yeah, as opposed to creating endless scenes and endless conversations mm-hmm. that are never in isolation. Even when you're alone, I mean, we've all spent a lot of time with just one or two, three, four people in the last few mm-hmm. months. Yeah, um, I've I've realized how important it is to remember that my the person I live with and I are are not alone. It turns out there's a whole other family on the other side of the wall and there's (laughs) a million people in the (laughs) neighborhood around me. And why would I decide that we're alone because we happen to have these walls around us. So I, when Marion was talking, I was thinking the focus in that activity, I think if people really want to be revolutionary is Mm -hmm. that our fights don't happen in isolation. No, they don't just impact us. And so to what extent are we open to creating new performances that will never, in my opinion, come from inside of us? Because what's inside of us is the thing that we know to say. Mm-hmm. We need some but other we're prepared. input. Yeah. Sometimes the input can be Beyonce, imagine. <laughs> right.
0: But, Absolutely. But often, Absolutely.
2: often you literally need somebody to say, Well, try saying it this way. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Try so try tweaking this word. Yeah. Um, and you know, one of the brilliances of Marion, and I think this does come from having been trained in large part by Fred Newman, who was a philosopher, and is that is is that we're not looking to create a better scene. Right. Mm-mm.
0: Mm-mm. We're looking
2: to create a
0: different scene, yeah. a scene yes.
2: that has that we're that exposes that we are creating the scene. Yep. And there is no guarantee it will be any kinder any sweeter, any more wonderful and roses. And and in my experience, actually, the ones that are most impactful afterwards are the ones that don't resolve the conflict, right. but give us another way to see it and to, and to experience it in a more human way of understanding, oh, that other person is also a human being.
1: Yeah. I mean, even if you get in those scenes 30 seconds... Of seeing the other, mm-hmm. full stop, yeah. or seeing the other in a way you've never seen before. Yeah. Wow, what a difference! And it has nothing to do with ideology.
0: No, That's it so doesn't.
1: Important.
0: Yeah, and the the idea, like you, you mentioned in there, like play being playful in the face of an argument of the face uh-huh. in the face of anger uh-huh. and it just when people would hear that without any of this context it sounds like you're just making light of it yes. or being silly or like yes. being mischievous but it's so much deeper than that and i just really appreciate you guys this work that you've been doing all these years and the, the and you're writing on it <laughs> and pursuing this it's just such an amazing i mean i i wish that we could get like two people on different sides of this spectrum that are fighting right now that the same things are on the, all the news channels now you mm-hmm. know about what's happening with uh defund the police and things like that if we could have Marion on the side coaching side coaching the world <laughs> Marion side coach to the world just have like a debate or have yeah. like two people on opposite sides of it actually yeah. have a conversation but with Marion going stop <laughs> you can, yeah, yeah. So that's my yeah. my hope for the world is that we will have an amazing coach like Marian. <laughs> Mine, <laughs> well, Mine too. Thank you guys so much oh, for this interview. Fantastic. Oh. And Kara, thank you for your enthusiasm.
2: Yeah. You, you, you you yeah. The, you you.
0: You should perform as, people should perform as yeah. you. Oh. Yeah. It's true. That's what I was to say. Well, <laughs> It took me so long to find me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole other podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. it. Thank you so much for joining me for another week. And I hope you join again next week. Don't forget, Playgrounding is supported by listeners like you. All you have to do is subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you don't mind, leaving us a little review so that other people can find us. Thank you so much.